You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone. And as always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts, David Wilson, our student pastor, and Bobby Harrell, our lead pastor. Together, we've been discussing content from 1 Corinthians. Up until now, we've gotten all the way through chapter 10. Today, we're going to get into chapter 15, starting to go a little bit out of order. As you do your study at home, as you dig into the content of 1 Corinthians, we'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear any questions that you have and potentially respond to the most applicable questions. So if you could just text us your feedback to 817-809-3040, we would love to hear from you. Again, as we get into this content, we're so grateful and thankful that you have chosen to listen to Cornerstone Conversations. On Easter Sunday, we dealt with 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, but only a few verses. It's known as the resurrection chapter in the sermon, obviously for reasons of the demographic that would be here on an Easter Sunday morning, needing to hear a more simplified gospel and resurrection explanation. We did not deal with what is a very lengthy 58 verse chapter. There's a lot of things in this chapter I think we should discuss that were not appropriate to discuss with a house full of guests. You know, actually, before we get into that, I'd love to kind of talk about what our process is for thinking about who the audience is that we're speaking to. So why would we give a different kind of sermon based on the crowd that's going to be there? What is the rationale there? You always prepare to speak to people. Yeah. Oftentimes pastors talk about preparing a message. But we are not called of God to speak a message, period. We are called to speak something to people. Mm -hmm. And that was lost on me a bit as a young pastor. I thought my job was to just get up and proclaim, you know, preach the word, be instant in season, just proclaim the word of God. And I think I made quite a mess of a lot of things because of that. And it was a little bit later in my ministry that I began to understand through some I didn't really have a mentor, as I've explained, in the sense of a disciple maker to guide me and develop me as a pastor. My dad was sick and was not really involved at that point in my development. And I always felt like I was flying solo and I had to just read everything I could read and figure out which voices I could trust. It's a miracle that I got, I guess, as far as I got (laughs) without a disciple maker. I feel like you guys are going to be far, much farther along because you have some trusted voices in your life. But some of the voices that we're reading begin to say, hey, you're not just a, not called to speak Mm -hmm. the word of God. You're called to speak the word of it to people. And that totally changes the dynamic. You have to consider your audience always. Yeah, That's really what you find in the New Testament. The people that are speaking are speaking to specific audiences and speaking to their issues and to their context and to their situation. It would be ridiculous for Paul to talk for 15, 16 chapters about the law and Judaistic problems to the Corinthians. Yeah, they're not, they're not facing that issue. They're Gentiles who are coming from idolatry. But the book of Galatians very much deals with that. Very much deals. And so they are completely different books. Right. And And they're different books because they're completely different audiences. There you go. Right. And so then it's Easter Sunday. You know, we just have to expect 
that there's going to be people coming in that are not typical churchgoers or who maybe are more casual in their faithfulness to joining together with a church fellowship. They don't need to hear us talk about Greek verbs. Right. What they need to hear is a clear gospel presentation. Let me go back to what your original question was, and I'll use the spiritual discipleship wheel that, that we use here at Cornerstone. Each stage of spiritual development has a certain language. Mm-hmm. It has a certain a set of needs, certain set of characteristics. Right. And, you know, people in the child phase are selfish. I mean, we, you know, we just go through the whole wheel, but you can distinguish that people in a certain stage have a certain need. When someone, when you have a large segment of the congregation or your audience and they're in the pre-birth stage, mm-hmm. pre-Christian stage, they don't need to hear us discussing nuanced Christian disputable issues. Yeah. They need to hear a clear gospel presentation and find the one who can give eternal life to them right. and forgiveness of sin. So that's why we alter yeah. the message. It's not that we're shielding maybe some of our beliefs from the audience. It's like you, yeah. you can't serve up steak here right now. Paul says it himself. Yeah, we, we need to <laughs> fix the appropriate yeah. meal for the appropriate audience. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and to do otherwise would be exactly the struggle that we're dealing with here, trying to read in the middle of a conversation between the Church of Corinth That's and right. Paul. You know, we can't expect an audience to come in and hear a message completely out of context. And it makes sense, you know, in complete isolation. We want to make sure that the message that we're presenting is clear in nature, that the gospel is as simply put as it is, and that it's accessible to the people who God has put into our frame of reference for this week. Yeah. But that's why we have this podcast, so we can dig a little bit deeper sure, right. and then flesh in some of the areas that maybe were not appropriate for a Sunday morning on Easter right. crowd, but are very much appropriate to the people who really want to dig in and, mm-hmm. and dive deeper into the study of the, of the book. So that's why we're in chapter 15 right. today. It's why we skipped forward a little bit because chapter 15, as we saw on Sunday, is just a wonderful depiction of the resurrection of Christ and, right. and the resurrected life that's consequential right. to that. So we jumped ahead in our progression of the book. We're still going to, in today's podcast, look at chapter 15, but that kind of gives a little bit of backstory as to why we're switching things up a little bit. There are several verses now that I would like to read that maybe we didn't get a time or it wasn't appropriate on Sunday to deal with. Let me read, and then we'll just discuss. I've got some comments and some questions that, that I'd like to just get the conversation going. Here's 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I want to make clear for you brothers and sisters, the gospel. Yeah. This is how we, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you. So we call this the resurrection chapter, but I could make an argument that this is really the gospel chapter and Mm -hmm. that the resurrection is a a necessary part of the resurrection. Yeah. And that's probably a more proper way to describe this chapter. I want to make clear the gospel. So again, we're going to keep asking the question as we promised, why did Paul bring that up? You think there's probably some confusion on what the gospel is or can I make my own gospel or... Yeah. I mean, if Paul is making something clear, that means that they are lacking clarity. And so that means that something that should be simple and clear and easily understood is not being understood properly. Yeah, what he says, that this is the gospel on which you've taken your stand. And this is the gospel, verse two, on which you were saved, by which yeah. you were saved. Right. And so he said earlier, I think, David, you had this chapter, I've begotten you 
mm-hmm. by the gospel. Yeah. I mean, you, you got saved because I brought the gospel and it is the power of God unto salvation according to the book of Romans. And it has transformed you from lost to saved. That's right. And it is the power of, of the gospel. And, and therefore you know, chapter nine, yep. I'll defend my apostleship because even though, you, okay, maybe I'm not an apostle to some, but I am to you. Yeah. Because I share the gospel with you and, and you got, there it is. And you, and you received and, and it's interesting that Paul keeps rounding back on, I think I made this statement in one of the sermons that I did as we finished chapter four, you know, that was kind of about the gospel. And then the rest of the book is about specific issues. But the more that we read this, the more that we study, the more that we realize over and over again that Paul's just going to keep banging that drum. He's just going to keep saying over and over again, the centrality of the gospel message is everything to us. And here's how I'm going to clarify the specific issues that you guys are dealing with. Right. And then he says at the end of verse two, you know, by which you're saved, if you hold on to the message I've preached to you. Mm -hmm. So evidently they were trying to shed the gospel that he had preached to him. These are the essential arguments the big ideas of the whole book now being yep. rehashed before your eyes. And then he says, unless you believed in vain, unless you believed in vain, unless, unless all of my work here is a waste of time, mm-hmm. which is going to be a direct tie to verse 58 when we get to the end of this right. chapter. So I'll save that for just a moment. Then Paul gives that early church creed mm-hmm. that we talked about on Sunday morning, where the early Christians from now, this is being written 25 years after the resurrection, death and resurrection of Christ. But the early church had simple, creedal, poetic type, pithy statements that were summaries of what they believed. Mm-hmm. And they said them, they memorized them, they, they rehearsed them. And now Paul is saying, I'm going to give to you right now mm-hmm. the first church creed that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And he was raised again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Which is such a beautiful summation of what the gospel is. That's it. And that that is literally what he said. I want to make clear the gospel. Boom. And then he unloads the first creed on them. Statement of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for for a second, let's just talk about that. That is the gospel. Mm -hmm. That is the message. This is is exactly what it means to be a Christian is to have a belief in these things that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And now that we're throwing back to the old Testament, even though they may not have seen it always clearly, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, this is clearly the message of the old Testament that God would send a King, his Messiah to make things right. And Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. Yeah, heavy emphasis on the fact that he was buried there. Yeah. And I think that's really important because he wasn't just knocked out or whatever on the cross and then taken down and all these uh yeah, conspiracy sw- kind of theories. Theory. Yeah, he just right. passed out, he wasn't really dead, and yeah, that's no. why he revived in the cold tomb yes. and came back awake and, and yeah. now no, there's a big important emphasis on the fact that he was buried. And then three days later, yeah, yeah. he appears. And, and was raised again yeah. on, uh, on the third day, according this, to the scriptures. This yeah. is something that people oftentimes say, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to articulate yeah. the gospel. Yeah. It's like, well, if you have approximately 30 words, you're able to. And this is, this is something that I really have been enjoying that we've been doing mm-hmm. is to recite some creeds and recite some prayers and it kind of get some memory back into our faith, yeah. you know, for, for a long time, especially in our traditions and in our backgrounds denominationally, we kind of got away from any kind of corporate readings and corporate mm-hmm. confessions. confessions. Uh, yeah. 
we kind of got away from that. And there's some beauty to having some of these things committed to memory. And I'm really happy that we're doing that because this is just the most simple way to present the gospel. It's beautiful. As I said, Sunday, you know, the gospel, the whole gospel is not just that Christ died and was buried. The rest of the gospel is he rose, but it doesn't end there again and was seen. He appeared. And if he had risen from the dead, as I said, Sunday and gone straight back to heaven without appearing to the disciples, that would have been cruel. His disciples needed to see him Mm -hmm. alive. If they're going to be sent ones to proclaim this simple truth in, would you say 20 words or 30 30 words? Yeah. Yeah, If this is going to be their mission, they are apostles sent ones to proclaim this mind blowing truth Mm -hmm. that God did indeed send his son to be the savior of the world. We killed him. (laughs) But it was all part of the divine plan. He yeah. was buried. He rose again. And now we have seen him. They needed. Well, without the appearance, there would have always been historical doubt. Yes. Yeah. Right. We, we have faith and we would have faith regardless. Sure. And so I'm not trying to discount that. And the proof here now is 25 years later, Jeremy, what you're saying is what Paul's point exactly is. Right. He was seen and it erases all doubt. There is no mm-hmm. historical doubt. There is no doubt. Let me tell you about the credibility of the eyewitness. Let me just pick that up. It's verse five. He appeared to Cephas. Now that's a, it's another name for Simon. Well, Peter. And I think this is a direct link to one of the slogans or banners oh, that, yeah. that they brought up in the very beginning. Let's he's, use the insult. Yeah. He's Insults. telling them, you guys love Cephas. You love Peter who Jesus appeared to. Yeah. I mean, if you don't believe in this resurrection thing, at least you're, you're going to believe because Peter. This is where the chapter's going. They don't believe in the resurrection. Yeah. yeah for the believer. That's right. They believe in the resurrection for Christ, but not for the believer. So now you're saying Paul, yeah. he, Paul is arguing and using their champion Peter yes. that they love yes. and saying, well, Peter believes in it. Right. So what do y'all think? Right. Yeah. If, if <laughs> yeah. you want to be in the Peter camp. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the Peter camp, then you believe then in the you, resurrection. You better believe it. <laughs> yeah. Because Peter clearly saw the risen yeah. Christ. The, watch how this text flows though. He appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me ask you guys, the 12 what? Yeah, the, the original 12 disciples or apostles. The original 12 apostles. Yeah. Okay, so they're already in the list. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but but some have fallen asleep. But again, that, that line of most of them are still alive, he's saying there are current eyewitnesses that you can oh, speak yeah. to. 500, we can hook you up. Right now. Most of them are still alive. Go find yeah. one yeah. and talk to them. Yeah. I'll give you somebody's phone number. Call them. They're still living somewhere in, <laughs> in Jerusalem or something. Yeah. yeah. Then he appeared to James, that be the Lord's brother. Notice this line then, then to all the apostles. Well, I thought he just mentioned the apostles. No, he mentioned the 12 capital A apostles. Mm-hmm. That's right. yeah. Now this circles back to an argument or a discussion we yep. had, an argument, but a discussion yep. we had some weeks ago when we were talking about Paul's apostolic authority and what is an mm. apostle in the Bible, the word apostle appears to be used in several different ways. Mm-hmm. It is capital A, those who have a very particular title of the first 12, which is really a misnomer because they elect a 13th in the book of Acts, and then Paul becomes 14th, right. minus Judas becomes really 13th. You see what I'm saying? Right. It's, but that's the original 12 plus Paul, if you would have But he appeared to the original 12, yeah. minus Judas, right. plus Matthias. Right. So it's really not... It's a, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you understand now? what's yeah. happening, <laughs> what's happening there. So when he now cycles back and says, and then he appeared to the apostles. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is something else. This is what we were saying. Right. So we weren't just making this up. The Bible is now saying, yeah, there are other apostles. Okay. And it means sent ones. Yeah. And they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Yes. So when Paul in Romans 16 
start saying, here's uh, Junia and these other people and these apostles. And, and we're like, wait, wait, where did apostles? We only knew about the 12 up to right. this point. This is what Paul's saying. There's a whole group of lowercase a apostles who are eyewitnesses. And, and let's just suppose, I mean, I can't say 100%, but it feels like they are eyewitnesses to the resurrection and they are there. And this appearance is some type of formal commissioning where, again, Christ is saying either like a Matthew 28 or an, an Acts chapter one. Right. Okay. Now the Holy Spirit has come upon, when he's come upon you, go and make disciples of all nations right. and my authority yep. I give to you and I will be with you and go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. You know, it's commissioning yep. and they went and, and we see people who are not Paul and Peter, people with lots of other names mentioned throughout the rest of the New Testament who are sent all over the Roman That's empire. Right. And those are just the ones we have good records of because mm-hmm. we know some were sent to North Africa, some were sent over to Asia and into India. They scattered and took the gospel message wherever they went. These are the other apostles. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to call some other statements out. Last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me as one born at the wrong time. For I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. There is so much packed into this that there's no way to deal with it on a Sunday. When, when Paul is using this language for, I am, he appeared to me lastly as one born out of due season, the old version say, yeah, born at the wrong time. The actual Greek word here means, has multiple definitions. The Greek word means an abortion, to, to abort the baby, to miscarry, or untimely birth. Now, in modern Fort Worth, that's called a premature birth, a preemie. Yeah. So, and you know, a preemie can be so preemie that the baby's not viable to live outside the mother's womb, or it can be preemie. And with our technology, we've done, gosh, amazing things now where you see these Premiest of premies, the smallest yeah, of the small still, little babies still grow, still grow and live and, and yeah. be healthy, well-developed, you know, adults. Yeah. So here's what Paul's saying. And what's interesting in the Greek is he puts an article on this. He doesn't say, I am an abortion or I am. He uses the article the. Now what's happening here is he calls himself by the most self-deprecating terminology. He says, and lastly, Jesus appeared to me, the abortion. Wow. He appeared, Jesus, or read it this way. Jesus appeared to me, the preemie, mm-hmm. the runt of the litter is a very Americanism. Yeah. Okay. What do I mean by runt of the litter? I mean that baby, which is born smaller than all the rest. And even though it grows into maturity, it never becomes in stature like the rest of the puppies. Yeah. It is the quote runt of the litter. Right. Okay. So. Why in the world would Paul use this language right in the middle of this beautiful conversation about the gospel and the resurrection? The reason? Because it's probably not his language, it's theirs. We're back to a zero Corinthians moment. Now, David, you had talked about the zero Corinthians exchanges being borderline hostile now, yeah. where the Corinthians have said some of the nastiest things ever about mm. Paul. It looks like from what Paul is saying here that in those zero Corinthians letters, the Corinthians have said something like 
this. Oh, they got Peter and those other churches got Apollos, those great speaker and the tall, handsome guy. You know what we got? Yeah. The now, preemie. We got the preemie. And let me, let me tell you what, the, the name Paulus means runt. Paulus means little. You know which apostle we got? Let me use what could have been their language. We got Paulus the preemie. Yep. We, we got, let me make it more simpler. We got Paul the pygmy. Yep. We got Paul the runt of the litter. Yep. They all got these strapping, eloquent pastors with Rolexes who knew how to dress like men of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came in with their Italian suits and their good looks and slid in here, you know, in their Bentleys and private jets. And yeah. what did we get? Paul, the stinking pygmy. Oh, he talks my. too long and is ugly. to he's, look at. he's short and he's not eloquent. And that's the apostle we're stuck with. And so when we talk about this elitism thing that the Corinthians seem to be dealing with, we're not, again, we're not just making this up. Yeah. This isn't just coming out of nowhere. This is the kind of language that someone who is thinking they're an elite stature kind of person would use to insult someone else. Well, even, even recall last week's podcast, remember how defensive Paul was of his apostleship. Mm -hmm. And you could very clearly read his tone in the words that he oh, was yeah. saying, because he has to put up a defense mechanism against the things that they're saying. Because they're being him. so horrible to him. Yeah. Yeah. See, now that you understand that, there's also a wordplay then in verse nine, which is not readily apparent at first reading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For I am the least of the apostles. Yeah, there's a little bit, a little bit of double meaning there, probably. Least means like, yeah, okay, so I'm four feet tall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Well, they had said, you know, we, we got Paul the pygmy and all he wants to talk about is the gospel. We want to talk about, listen, we're talking in tongues down here and we've got spiritual gifts and we are spiritually somebody. And yeah, listen, what we do in the flesh doesn't matter. We're going to discard that anyway. Yeah. And, we and, want to talk about angels and demons and all yeah, this other We want to talk stuff. about yeah. the apocalypse and the book of revelation and, yeah. and, and, and speaking angelic languages and all of this. And what does Paul want to do? Jesus, 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 cross, 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 resurrection, resurrection. Can we not get a decent apostle down here instead of Paul? The yeah. Can we get pygmy? an apostle who actually saw Jesus? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now here, now watch the, watch yeah. the word play here. And so last of all, he appeared to me as Paul, the pygmy as Paul, the runt of the litter. And I am the least of the apostles. Yeah. Wordplay. Because he could be saying tongue in cheek here. I am the shortest. Right. I am the least attractive. I am the ugliest. Okay. I'll I'll just run. I am the least of the apostles. But I'm not the least of the apostles for the reasons. Y'all say. Y'all say I'm the least. That's right. Here's why I consider myself. I too consider myself the least of the apostles. But I do it for this reason. Because I persecuted the church of God. And I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Right. So, yeah, if you want to make fun of me, uh, let's just roll with that. Yeah, I am the least. I'm the least because unlike the other apostles, I used to kill Christians for a living. And I was really good at my job. Ask Stephen when you see him in heaven. Right. And it breaks my heart that that's my past and my history. And I'm really not worthy. But I am what I am by the grace of God. Yeah. And so what's beautiful here is Paul believes his whole life is a picture of God's grace. And grace that's given by God has to be responded to. So now what will Paul do? He responds to the grace and he says, and because of that, God's grace was not in vain when it was given to me. And on the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other 
apostles. And again, there's a little allusion to their comparison game. A hundred percent. He's very defensive of this. And then he qualifies very quickly. Yet not I, but the grace of God was working in me. So whether then it is I or they, comparison again. The point is we proclaim. And what we proclaim is a direct reference to these first 10 verses, the gospel. Particularly verses three and four there. The gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, We have proclaimed the gospel and you have believed. And when you move into the next section, which is like 12 to 19, Paul addresses two contradictory beliefs that the Corinthians hold. They believe in Christ's resurrection, Mm -hmm. but they don't believe in the resurrection of their own bodies. And so what Paul now is going to do is he's going to pick that up and say, how can you believe in Christ's resurrection and not your own resurrection? I probably should circle back and say, in the first paragraph, when Paul reiterates the, the creedal form of the gospel, Christ died for our sins and was buried, he rose again and was seen. Paul is making the argument that this is Christianity now. Yeah. All Christians believe this. Yeah. To not believe this is not to be a Christian. Yeah, this is the this is the core tenet of the entire faith. Yeah. So and I I you know, sometimes we all struggle to get into modern culture here yeah. in, in the head of our own culture at times. Sure. It, it can too be contradictory because it wouldn't be out of the question for someone in modern America to say to me, Oh yeah, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. I just don't and then it'll start going. Sure. I don't believe in church. I don't believe in how you live matters. I don't sure. believe in the resurrection. Yeah, I believe there's a God. And I believe there was probably someone named Jesus. But he's probably just another man. There's probably many ways to get to heaven. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so that cafeteria style mm-hmm. approach to being a follower of God is what's being refuted right here. Yeah. The Corinthians have clearly made their own gospel. Yeah. Which is not another. And Paul is saying... The gospel, to be a Christian, to be a follower of God, is to believe what I'm delivering to you, because this is what all of the churches believe. Yeah. Now, David, you and I were talking a lot about this in prep for these really controversial chapters, because Paul does use this language several times. As in all the churches. Yeah. He he talks about it in uh, chapter 14, which is just a few paragraphs before he makes that same statement here in 15 in regards to verses 34 and 35. In the chapter 11, where he deals with head coverings and the Lord's Supper. Oh, that's right. He also deals with it there. The churches have no other tradition than that this. Is absolutely We're not going to be contentious and contrary about these things. And then he says in chapter 14, in verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints... Then he breaks into two very controversial verses, which we're going to deal with in a couple of weeks. The women should be silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. And he goes on for right. a couple of verses talking about that how kind of all the thing. other churches deal with these issues. Right. And they're all in unity on it. And what's really interesting about the way that Paul deals with that in chapter 14, which we're going to deal with in a lot more detail as we come up to those particular passages, because... We think there's they're, they're among there's a the, little bit they're among the most controversial passages yes. in the entire Bible. That's right. That's right. what we're getting to. The, those two or three verses there in chapter 14. But but the way that Paul deals with it here almost seems like it's in contrast to the way that he's dealing with it in chapter 14. He's saying it almost in a negative way. Like you guys are saying this is how the churches handle things. And now he's again, he's using those same kind of words to here in chapter 15 to deal with the present conflict, which is the the resurrection resurrection and whether or not they have resurrection bodies or they're already 
sort of overly spiritual okay. or whatever. Okay. So we'll, yep. yeah, we'll don't get ahead of the text. That's yeah, where yeah, we're we'll, going. So what he does in verses 12, really through 19 is he deals with their hypothetical mm-hmm. that there is no resurrection. Cause you'll hear language like this. If, if there is no resurrection, Right. And what Paul is about to do, as our listeners read freshly through mm-hmm. this this week, and they're like, what's he doing here? He's saying, oh, so you don't believe in the resurrection? Okay, if that's true, then yeah. let's take it to the absurd. Right. And that's what Paul loves to do. He loves to take an argument to its absolute extreme mm-hmm. conclusion, and let's see if then when I say it that way, you still believe what you believe. <laughs> right. And so when he starts drawing it out that way, he says, how can you say there is no resurrection? Okay, if that's where you want to be. So, but if there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. Yeah. Is, this is a wonderful moment where you can't take a verse out <laughs> yeah, of context. Right. Right? Correct. Let's yeah. say someone says, oh, well, my very favorite verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 12. Verse 12. There Some is of no- you say there is no resurrection from the dead. Yeah, praise God. There's no <laughs> or, resurrection. Yeah. You know, yeah. verse 13, not even Christ has been raised. There you go. Right? Without really understanding the context and really what That's Paul's right. saying, yeah. That's right. you're going to be very lost. You and have if, to have the paragraph. And not yeah. only that, if you don't understand the sarcasm oh, yeah. that he is clearly oh, yeah. injecting into this, then you're not really going to know the intention of him even saying that. Yeah. And he's really, he's really by going to the absurd, saying you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. If there's no resurrection for you and me, then Christ isn't raised either. He was a man. Yeah. And he died a physical death. Yep. And either he was raised or he's not. Which So you want to say he's not? Okay, if there's no resurrection, Christ has not been raised. Mm-hmm. And if he's not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is in vain. We are false witnesses. Your sins aren't forgiven. Your, and your, be- your loved ones are irreparably right. dead and cannot be recovered. There is no future reunion with your loved ones. It is done. It is over. It is final. Right. That's sobering. Those are the implications Those of, are the of implications. holding that kind of belief. That's right. So then in the next section, like 20 through 28, it's another paragraph. Paul now reverses the argument. Since Christ has been raised from the dead, which is the gospel. I, I love the, the intro line, though, but as it is. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is what yeah. you think it is, which you're clearly wrong. As it really is, yeah. Christ was raised from the dead. And, and, and of course, now he's hearkening back to the first paragraph. We know he's risen. We all saw him. Yeah. yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of us. Which, again, that makes so much more sense now why he built such a case yeah. of the visual and of the firsthand witnesses. Yeah, the witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. That he makes such a case on this because, again, he's going to have to come back and prove that they really did happen. Beautifully right. structured. The eyewitnesses are already given their depositions now. Yeah. I'm just reminding you of their testimony that they gave, which stands in court. As it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he uses this, maybe a farming or sure. something we see in the Old Testament, first yeah. fruits. Yeah. Christ has become the first fruits of them that have fallen asleep. Well, first fruits, when you say that, it's like the first of the harvest, which mm-hmm. implies a harvest. Yeah. It's the first of the yeah, harvest. The whole thing that's coming. That's of right. the whole thing. The first of the whole. The yeah. bit, it's the little bit on the beginning yep. that guarantees you it's yeah. coming. That it's on the way. That there's more on the way. It's more the grain is ripening. More that's of the right. harvest is coming. This Start is the bit. looking that, for it. There yeah. you go. Get ready. Get ready. Yeah. Get ready. It's coming. It's imminent. Yeah. And so he says Christ is the first fruits. So what we're learning is that in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, this is the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Another way of saying this theologically is this is the beginning of the kingdom of God. Yeah. This is the inauguration of the kingdom. That's right. 
It has been inaugurated, but it hasn't been fully realized. That's right. And we are in what you would call the end times. We're in the last days. From the moment of Christ's resurrection right. till now. And so when we, the, and the problem is when an American says, hey, talk to us about the end times or the last days, you're in it. Yeah. You've been in it for 2000 years, according to the Bible. Paul uses those very words to, to talk about his time frame where he existed. And really what that's talking about is the in-between time from when Christ ascended to heaven after his resurrection and the time that he will return. Yeah. So it's not a specific time frame or window that we're looking at in particular. We're, we're in the last era. We're in the last it's an, age. It's an era. It's an yes. age. Yeah. We're in the last and final age. That's right. That's correct. Before the kingdom is fully realized yeah. with the return of Jesus Christ, the reunification of heaven and earth, mm -hmm. the resurrection of the dead. The Again, we're going to circle right back to Genesis chapter 2 in, yeah. in, in essence. I mean, which is exactly what verses 24 through 26 are talking about. Exactly. That's right. And it even uses Genesis 1, 2, and 3 direct references to yes. Adam. Right. And he starts using this contrast between Adam yeah. and Jesus, yeah. which is sometimes called the, the last Adam or the yeah, second, second Adam. Yeah. A new start for humanity. That's right. Which, the, which Adam was the ideal human, right? At the very beginning until sin corrupted him. And then Jesus shows up and completely accomplishes that ideal human that we're supposed to be. Right. He doesn't He doesn't just come as God to necessarily save us from our sins. He does that. Absolutely. That's a part of what he's doing. But he's also showing us this is what true humanity is supposed to look like. And this is what you will look like when you receive your resurrection bodies. You have a question from that text i see you marking over here i guess i i was looking so I, i'm making notes as we as we read i'm just looking at the poignancy of verse 26 the last enemy to be abolished is death hmm. it's just such a wonderful depiction of you know christ conquering. yes it's, there's and, some there's some beautiful language in here oh yeah so you're looking at verse 26 the last enemy to be abolished is death yeah wait till you see the grand ending here mm -hmm. in a minute mm -hmm. where paul employs a very similar language and he's saying to them, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I mean, I'll say the whole gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and the, the appearances and the eyewitness, mm -hmm. and now we know this to be a certainty. We know for certain that death has already been defeated. Right. Sin has already been conquered. Yeah. And our resurrection is a guarantee yeah. because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a very beautiful and encouraging language in this chapter. And it further punctuates that death is not the ideal. It's not the intended design that it, God it made us design. with. This no. is not how it was supposed to be at any time. Death and is really unnatural for us. Right. We were not made for death. It's why no one is comfortable with the idea of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why this Christian hope is so beautiful because there's life after death in right. real life with Christ. In verse 29 down through about 34, there, there's some wording language in here that's really hard to wrap your mind around yeah. because Paul is referencing some of the Corinthian practices and their practices about which the modern church knows nothing. Namely, in verse number 29, otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? Now, there is a head scratcher. And again, without the zero Corinthians letters, to explain exactly what was happening, mm -hmm. we have very little yeah. uh, understanding of what their exact practice was. And Paul's arguing there is a resurrection. Mm -hmm. Okay. They believed then in Christ's resurrection, just not their own. And he's right. saying with one comes the, uh, the guarantee of yeah. the other. Right. And now what he's saying is, 
how is it that you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead? Because I know you guys are practicing something called the baptism for the dead. Yeah. So clearly you believe in something after this physical life. So what is it that they're doing? So here's my question. Are they taking a dead body and baptizing it and saying that that's something special? Or or are they themselves being baptized? I'm confused on the wording here. Can you help me out? So the way the argument's structured, it reveals that the Corinthians have a problem related to the resurrection. And now Mm -hmm. Paul uses one of their confused practices. Right, right. To say even your confused practice reveals that you do really believe in some life after death. But what that practice was, we can guess, and I think we can get pretty close. Most likely, it involves the issue that the Corinthians thought we are spiritual people, people of the spirit, pneumaticos, you know, is the thing they keep bringing up. And so really, it's really the the, the macro theme of the whole book is what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Absolutely. This is evidently tied right to it. They believe that they are spiritual people. We have received the Holy Spirit. It is evidenced through the speaking of gift of tongues. Right. And see how spiritual we are. We have already entered into the realm of true spirituality. And they believe they had already gone into a, a state of angelic. Yeah, ascendancy or something. Ascendancy. Yeah. Angelic. Look, we are like the angels. And this yeah. is why. Married people stopped having sex with their spouse. Right, because we're androgynous like angels. Ah, see, we don't need that so anymore. So we're so heavenly now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we can go engage in sex outside right. of marriage because what we do in the body doesn't matter. We're really spirit beings yeah. and we will shed the body eventually. So what we do with it really doesn't matter. They wanted both sides of the argument. Yeah, and there's that Platonism, that worldly wisdom that Paul's talking about sort of entering in here where my body doesn't matter. It's it's not this thing that at all, really. It's it's a shadow of the real reality of the spiritual world. So the body is yeah. really unnecessary to what we're going to be in That's the right. future. That's right. And we're going to shed the body. And so in, in essence, we're going to discard the body anyway. Yeah. We're just not really thinking about the resurrection of the body. That's not a big deal to us. We want to get out of the body to go be the spirit beings that we truly are. It's possible, plausible actually, that the Corinthians saw baptism and communion as kind of a magical way of securing this spiritual Mm. existence. So this is something we need to build on a little bit. So let let me say this multiple times for the hearers. It, it seems to us that the Corinthians believe that the sacraments, I'll use this European word, sure. which means baptism and the Lord's yeah. Supper. Church observances as we might hear them. Right. That the baptism and the Lord's Supper, these sacraments are a means of grace that put me into good spiritual standing with God. And they believe that baptism and the sacraments were magical well they carried very supernatural, supernatural they had they yeah. had they had this transformative power yeah. that when we were when we do baptism and when we take communion see it transforms us to the super spiritual people as evidenced by speaking in the gift of tongues yeah. and that's how we know we it's are almost the- a form of mysticism yeah yeah, it is. And again, we're, we're dealing with people who, uh, or an area, which just a hundred years later, 50 years later, there's going to be super secret knowledge people called yeah. the Gnostics yeah. who do believe in that kind of stuff. So it's not hard to think right. that they may be thinking something like this and we call it proto-Gnosticism, yeah. which is kind of and, the and theological from, phrase. There are 
then emerging within yep. a few hundred years now, traditions that call themselves Christian mm-hmm. and their form of the gospel, yep. their means of salvation is through the sacraments. See, and I think, I think that's, we need to stick on that phrase you just used, the means of salvation yeah, so, are to be baptized. So if I get baptized yeah. and I take the, the, the wafer and the wine, mm-hmm. I am in a state of grace with God and the church right. and I'm in good standing with God. I am, I am spiritual. spiritual. I am a spiritual person through participation in, in the sacrament. Which would then explain why they would want to practice baptism of the dead or for the dead. And why they would take the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, and, and morph it into their own version. It's because right. they're, they're the trying Supper. to secure this same kind of spiritual That's being right. for yeah. the departed. That's right. Which, you know, we mentioned that this is very foreign to us, but this is still actually a, a practice sure. in the Mormon church today. So sure. they, they have the same kind of procedure where they go and they baptize each other in the name of departed okay. people. Mm, and this is really, now yeah. this is what David asked. So when it says baptism of the dead, were they baptizing, like if your mother or father died, right? are you baptizing a dead body or are these living Corinthians being baptized on behalf of their departed I, I would say... It's more likely that they're being baptized on behalf of a departed because that is still the interpretation of this yeah. verse in the Mormon church, is, for example, today. Correct. And they will actually point to 1 Corinthians 15, 29 right. as the reasoning for that entire procedure in yeah. the church. And so I would like to say something David said. David said in his sermon Sunday, you know, Paul's now quoting from the Old Testament and using the children of Israel, not as an example to follow. Right. Right. But as an example, nah. please never do what they do yeah. ever again. That's right. That's right. And so again, so quoting this as the foundation for your current practice in America. It's really problematic. It's really problematic. It's, it's as problematic as finding a verse where the Corinthians say there is no resurrection of the dead. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Or, or saying, you know, Christ wasn't raised from the dead. It's like, well, technically those words are in the Bible. So let me build a little context for you. It's hard for us to, again, to walk where they walked. Yeah. So let's say this is written 55 AD. And let's, for easy numbers, let's say Jesus died around 30 to 33, death, burial, and resurrection are right in that time frame. Let's say we're 20, 25 years past the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Christianity is still in its infancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, really in its infancy. Churches are being planted. Congregations are being formed. These New Testament epistles are being written right now. Yeah. The Bible is still the Old Testament. Yeah. It's not the New Testament at this point. Nobody has that. Right. The New Testament is right now being written before our eyes. Very few believers that you know have actually died. So just just let's walk where they walked. Yeah. So Christ died, was buried and rose. He appeared, sent the apostles. Now we're believers. And, and we're coming up in churches where they're talking to us about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and future hope and future resurrection, all this. We don't really know anybody who is a believer mm. who's died. Even Paul, when he references the 500 eyewitnesses, yeah, said, most well, of them. a few have died, but yeah. you know, 498 of them are still alive. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, we're still tomorrow. in the present generation. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is part of something we shouldn't rush over. Yeah. If this were our case and we had not done any Christian funerals, you're not forced to think about it. Now somebody in our church dies, right? Now we're forced to stand up and say, okay, what will we say to the family? 
Right. And to the body of believers, this person died who was a member of our church. They were waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He didn't come. Yeah. Okay, so where does that leave my mother? Right. Where does that leave my grandfather? Right. Where are they right now? Yeah. What does the future look like for them? See, the yeah. questions would have been raised like this, and no, nobody had addressed this publicly yet. Mm-hmm. Paul is actually in Corinth when he writes 1 Thessalonians, yes. which we think is... Probably his first book in the year 48. It's probably his first letter he sends out. And evidently, it is now an issue because now, 25 years later, Christians are dying and yeah. the churches are doing funerals. Yeah, we're starting to get to that So point. we need to address to these baby churches mm-hmm. in an infant religion called Christianity, what is... The, the teaching at a Christian funeral. What do we say? What are we going to tell right. people to have hope and not sorrow? And, and what's interesting, even in that example you brought up is in First Thessalonians, also in Second Thessalonians, there's two different tones in the way that Paul talks about Jesus's return. You can tell very easily that there's a, a new occasion by which Paul has to go speak to them because they got really freaked out. And from his first letter, he made it sound like Jesus is coming tomorrow. And yeah. so people started selling all their stuff and they, you know, like, like doomsday prepper kind of things. Yeah. And then in second, this one, he says, calm down, wait, wait, calm, calm down, down, calm down, you, you know, live a quiet life, you know, follow the Lord where you are, uh, work with your hands. Like he, he's, he's not trying to scare them. So clearly what's happening as he's in Corinth and he's communicating with these other churches that he's planted is they're now, like you said, dealing with this topic and they're having to kind of work it out together as they're talking around what Jesus has revealed to Paul and the apostles. So from Corinth, this, this issue now must be an issue. Yeah. Okay. And from Corinth, he's going to write to the Thessalonians Mm -hmm. where he only stayed a very short time. Yeah. And so he's got to give them information. Obviously, let's say they've got word down at Corinth from Thessalonica. Yeah. Hey, brother, so-and-so died or sister, so-and-so died. Man, we're yeah, trying Christians do that. Man, we're trying to prep the funeral. Yeah. Paul, what do we say? Yeah. And, and here are his words in First Thessalonians 4 to that church. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death mm-hmm. so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring G- with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep mm-hmm. in him. So he goes on to talk about the resurrection. Yeah. He says the, the, the Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of yeah. your loved one's resurrection. Yeah. So don't be sad. It's yeah. all going to be all right. God's worked all of this out again. We rest in his care. So evidently now the Corinthians have run off into the ditch. <laughs> yeah. And they and, are. And not much later, because what is this being written in 53 50, to 55? 50, somewhere. 55. So we're talking five, six years later. They're having now issues with what Paul taught while he was there. So Paul is telling them, okay, you guys baptize for the dead. You've got this really weird, freaky thing you guys do. It looks like Christians were being baptized as stand-ins, representatives on behalf of of Mm -hmm. Uncle Joe who died. Right. So I ascribe some saving grace to the act of baptism. That's our new, let's say that's our new doctrine here. Mm -hmm. You know, we now... We now are going to say that baptism saves you. Well, what do you do with your departed grandmother who wasn't a believer? Right. Well, I've got an idea. How about I go Sunday and Pastor David, you baptize me on behalf of my grandmother and and we'll just count that my faith 
I'll, I'll let it bleed over to her. Well, because remember, they think of themselves as hyper spiritual. Yeah. And so maybe my, you know, incredible level <laughs> of right. spirituality yeah. will it's, just pour over and extend. Into you have so much spirituality. I have, so not much, only, I have plenty to share. You're not only saved, you could save like a whole, a yeah. whole tribe of people. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to imagine that the people who are doing this, the people who are putting this kind of policy into practice are also the people who think very highly of their level of spirituality <laughs> yes. as yeah. though they have particular saving power in the way that they baptize each other and that that could then extend not just to the living but to the dead it makes a lot more sense when you understand the kind of people that we're dealing with right now so uh, paul basically is doing his own little podcast right here and in <laughs> verse 35 he says watch him ask the questions but some will say some will ask how are the dead raised? So what Paul is about to switch the topic a little mm -hmm. bit, he said, okay, so let's keep talking about the resurrection. Yeah. But he said, I know what you really want to know. So I'll just ask the question for you. You're wanting to know how are the dead raised? And, and when he says that, he doesn't mean by what power. He means in what form. Right, right. What does that, yeah, I know what this body looks like. Yeah, they, and they knew what a decayed corpse would look like. So how could a decayed corpse get resurrected, Paul? You're ridiculous. Right. Is this like a walking dead situation? We, yeah. You know? Yes. And then Paul calls them. He says, you fool. Yeah. Well, so I love it. We, what's we, funny is he, he, puts, he puts the words in their mouth and then calls them foolish. That's right. It is kind of yeah. humorous. Like, the way he does have, it. Just so you know, I already know you're going to ask this question. I want yeah. you to know that I already know that you're a fool for asking this hypothetical <laughs> let, question. Let me read it. Here, here it comes. Well, you read it because you've got the great voice for this. Go ahead. Read it. Be, I, don't know, be, I don't know how to take be, that. Be, be Paul and call everybody a fool. Well, so he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And then he goes on a long rant right here. Yeah. So what, what, what he's saying is you, what y'all want to talk about is you can't comprehend again how the decaying body can become alive. Right. And you're missing it all. Listen, if, if God has the power to lay down his life and take yeah. it up and, and the worms can destroy your body and you can go ashes to ashes, dust to dust, what you forget is God made the first man from mud <laughs> dirt from yeah, nothing that's right and god can certainly put your yeah, yeah. this 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 harkens into the question we get asked a lot about cremation mm -hmm. which is rapidly overtaking traditional embalming yeah. and burial in america right it will be i think when you guys another decade take over all the funeral services mm -hmm. of cornerstone i believe you guys will probably be doing almost exclusively memorials with with a cremation involved not an embalmed body and a, and a casket so it's just, I, I believe that's your future. And so we get asked a lot, you know, what about cremation is somehow do I jeopardize my standing in the resurrection? Now I won't be like Paul and say, you fool, what the world's wrong with you? It's not like that, but it's a legit question because. I mean, I understand it. I understand where it's coming from. You have to understand God doesn't need 37 and a half percent of your bones in order to reconstruct you. He doesn't need. Yeah you know, your skeletal structure. He doesn't need anything. He's almighty yeah. God. He brought us into existence by his will. And with the, the if you would, formed us from the dust mm -hmm. and blew into us the breath of oh, life. Right. I mean, I don't want to make a yeah. rule out of exceptions, but when you start thinking about, you know, things really dramatic and, and horrible things like explosions or all these things where someone sure. dies and there is no body. Saul and his son, Jonathan, were killed in battle. Yeah. And the enemy got their bodies. Right and mutilated them and nailed them to the city wall in horrific 
mutilated fashion. David and the mighty men went and got them off the wall and burned their bodies because they were so mutilated. It was dishonoring. They thought that then they should burn them and turn them to ashes. So no one could further desecrate them in the midst of the battle. Right. So again, you're, you're seeing, obviously there's precedence (laughs) here and uh, that hasn't stopped God from doing his business and being you know, good and, yeah. and well, in control. So, we, we trust that he can handle any circumstance of death. Yeah. Well, it, and then the imagery that he begins to use now is a, a seed and a, a tree or I think it is specifically a tree here, but again, it's agriculturally the way the point is that what goes into the ground, that's right, is a seed. And it doesn't look anything like this tree. That's so about let's to use like a, plants. A, acorn and sure. an oak, oak tree. tree. Yeah. So the thing that goes into the ground is small. Yeah. It looks dead. Yep. It, it's not very honorable. It's not majestic. It's nope. not, it has no glory. Nope. It looks almost like a this little rock or a little nut right. or something. And that little thing goes into the ground. But what it becomes That's right. through death, it is reborn in mm-hmm. the soil and upsprouts the oak tree. That's right. Give it a few hundred years now. Sure. And you will have this fantastic, majestic thing. That looks nothing like that's what right. its seed was. And that's akin to what he's talking about in this resurrection thing is that your, your old physical body doesn't need to be the thing in order for the transformation to occur. God can, God can do it. And in fact, he, he says that you in verse 49, not only do you bear the image of, yeah, the man of dust, but Adam. you also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's correct. And, and there's some allusion here to David that he's arguing for present behavior. Yes, that, that is also very true. That that he's saying, in light of the certainty right. of the resurrection, yeah. hey, can we start looking and acting a little bit like Jesus right That's now? Right. right. Because this is your destiny. Yeah. Having a certain resurrection does not mean to the members of Cornerstone yeah. that you can trash your body because you're about to get a new one. Right. Or trash our environment. Now, this is beautiful. Yeah. And a lot of people from our tradition mm-hmm. have are very anti-environment. Right. Because they say, they say, well, God's going to make it all new anyway. What does it matter? Well, it matters. Yeah. Because you're going to, the goal is not to leave earth yeah. and to leave the body. Yeah. The Bible's telling something very different than the tradition has taught. Mm-hmm. The Bible's actually telling a story of heaven coming to earth. That's right. And you getting a new body. Right. And the kingdom of God overtaking the earth. That's right. And us living here. That's right. Right. Well, and again, what was Adam's job on earth? Yeah. To care for to it. To care, care, for, care it. for the planet. Right. And so for us yeah. to say, oh, God doesn't care if we care for his creation is yeah, a complete it's, departure it's, it's from, from the original occupation That's of right. humanity. And again, it's, it's a very fatalistic approach. That is a worldly wisdom that I think Paul would say that is not how you're supposed to act. And in fact, I think he does quote actually one of the Epicurean phrases, which was uh, eat, drink for tomorrow. Yeah, we all die. We all die. He, yeah. he, he quotes oh, one of second, those philosophies. David, wait a second. What if, what if we took that verse out of its context and said, here's what <laughs> yeah, we here's believe. What Paul says. Here's what we, here, in the words of the apostle Paul, yeah. this is our new church a slogan for yeah. 2021 eat drink and be merry 
Yeah. Party right. hard, Cornerstone. This is right all the words of Paul. <laughs> well, and even, you know, we've talked a lot over past podcast weeks of the problem with taking one verse mm-hmm. and then using that as the lens through which you view the rest of scripture. Right. Imagine taking a verse like that. Right. And making that the the lens that you view the rest of scripture through. Yeah. All of a sudden you have a completely different purpose of who Jesus is. That's right. What he came for, what our mission is as believers. Yep. It's really dangerous. And this is why we say, look at the entire message and then view these verses through that lens. And very quickly you see, oh, Paul is just quoting a, yeah. a commonly held belief in opposition to in the opposition gospel to standard. That's right. And then he'll go in on and refute that. In fact, Martin Luther, when he was asked about these verses, he said, well, what if, what if Jesus is coming back tomorrow? And Luther said, well, I'd plant a tree today. That was his, that was his choice because what we do right now does have impact into mm-hmm. eternity. We don't know what that, what that yeah. looks like or what that means or how that all works. God's yeah. got that all figured out. Like we've talked about, we need to podcast. live as if our bodies matter. That's right. Our neighbors matter yep. because our church do. matters. Yeah. The planet because matters. Absolutely. Prayer matters. Yeah. The spiritual disciplines matter. It matters. And, and if we act as though it doesn't, we fall into the sin and hubris that the Corinthians live by. So let me answer their question. How are the dead raised? With what body are they raised? Paul's answer, a transformed body. Yeah. It will not be like this body, mm. but it will be like this. It is, it is this, it is yeah. you, but it is a whole new you. Right. It's a transformed you. It's a body that is no longer corrupt and perishable. Mm-hmm. It is now immortal yeah. and imperishable. And Paul's trying to guide them in this conversation. Okay. All Christians believe in the resurrection. Yeah. You guys need to snap out of this man-made gospel. Yeah, you guys think you know what all the churches teaches, but you really don't. Let me tell you actually what all the right. churches teach. The resurrection transformation yeah. is an essential part of Christianity. Both it's, in yes, the future. Say what you're saying right now. And right now. Correct. Right. Yeah. And he is, Paul is not just concerned with the future. That's right. Again, in my tradition, there I, I heard a lot of preaching and unfortunately probably did a little of it where all we emphasized was the future reality. And that's all we wanted to talk about was again, the eschaton, the future, the, 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 what will be, and you know, God will make it art. We will do this. What about right now? And that's Paul's argument. Also, we will be changed and you will have a glorified body like Christ's body. That's right. But let's start living like it right now because it matters uh, to God and yep. it matters to the gospel and it matters to your unsaved neighbor who needs to hear the gospel and needs to see you mm-hmm. loving God and loving That's your right. neighbor That's as right. yourself. And so Paul's a conversation here is Paul always seems to talk in the not yet. That's right. But, but already yeah, yeah, already, it, but not yet. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's like, it, uh, you know, God's kingdom is now, but not fully it's That's inaugurated. Right. Yeah. And it's at work, but it's yep. not controlling the world order. That's right. You know, it's not fully realized. That's right. And and what's interesting about that point is that then we become, again, we, we've in Corinthians, this has been one of Paul's great developments that he's talking to the Corinthians about is that you are a place in which God's spirit resides. You are a temple as well as this community. The other place where God's spirit resides is the community. Therefore, where you live and how you live right now become advanced signals and signs of the kingdom of God and what it will look like in its fully realized application. So what you do right now absolutely matters. Are you being an advanced sign for the kingdom? 
Or are you mixing worldly ideologies and ideals that don't go along with this uh, proclamation, this creed that he does in verses three and four? It leads right into the concluding words of Paul now with what you just said. Mm -hmm. Watch how he ends this. Therefore, let's draw this little section of... What's the therefore? That's what the teachers want to know. What's therefore, therefore? (laughs) My dear brothers and sisters, notice now, after just calling them all fools... Watch him take a deep breath. This is so parental to me. I could yeah, see my parents. You know, God love my parents. I could see them yelling at me and then maybe in the next voice loving me. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, this is just such parental language oh, yeah. here. Oh, you fool. Okay. Look, knucklehead. I mean, my dear brothers and sisters, right. and he does love them deeply. Yeah. That is why he's so frustrated That's right. because of love. Yeah. My brothers and sisters, here's the conclusion. Be steadfast. In what, David? What's the opening line of this entire chapter? I want to bring to you yeah, the, the gospel. gospel. Be steadfast in the gospel. Be steadfast, immovable, mm. always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor is not in vain. Yeah. And again, it, Paul uses that word, you know, unless, I've, unless you have believed in vain or maybe I've labored yeah. in vain. And what he really knows is this. Let me say, anything we do in the gospel is not in vain. Period. I want to say to the Cornerstone listeners right now, you, you might think, does my attendance at church matter? It matters because nothing you do to worship God and pursue holiness and advance the gospel, yeah. nothing is vain. Nothing is right. empty. Nothing is worthless. I have people ask from time to time, Pastor, I don't, I don't have much to give. It's not about that. Right. Be faithful in giving. You said, does my little matter? Of course it matters. Mm-hmm. It absolutely matters. It matters to God. It matters to the need we're trying to address. It matters to you because you're doing the right things. Does it matter if I witness? Does it matter if I'm in a small group? Paul would say, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yeah. And so I would just want to challenge the cornerstone people, pursue holiness, pursue. Paul is arguing for transformation. Your body will be transformed. So why not we just go ahead and get on the transformation bandwagon right now? Let's live that pattern right now. And through discipleship, we believe is the easiest path. It is God's path to transformation. Plug into that. What happened when Jesus' disciples came to spiritual maturity? What happened? The gospel was perpetuated and permeated through the entire world. They went to make other disciples. We are now believers because Jesus made disciples who lived out transformed lives and pushed others to do the same. You say, does it matter? Paul says it does. Yeah. And he speaks with the authority of apostleship as one who has seen the risen Christ. And you may call him Paul, the pygmy, the run of the litter, but he says, okay, that's fine. Call me whatever you want to call me, but I have seen the risen Christ. Yeah. And maybe I'm not worthy to be impossible. I did kill Christians. You got me there. But by the grace of God, I put in the the work of God. That's right. And here we are. And I have worked harder, you know, and he doesn't mean it literally to put the other people down. No, no. I have worked very hard yeah. to share the gospel and make up for the mistake. Now, it, it, you know, it's not like it's a work salvation. Sure. It's not that kind of thing. But I have worked diligently now to make up for what I did. I have labored very hard to share the gospel and to make disciples. And I would challenge every Cornerstone listener with that same thing. What you do matters. Who you are matters. Go live for Christ. This is such an incredible chapter. I'm so thankful that we're able to look through it and read through it together. So 
Now we're going a little backwards. We're done with 15, but we skipped a couple. So next week, we're going to go into chapter 11 and then move forward. And then we'll skip a little bit. And we're just going to have a nice time through the rest of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> 11, 12, and 14. Three of the most controversial chapters in the entire Bible. So, yeah. And then we'll, yeah, really the... Those chapters contain some of the passages of scripture that even got us into this study to begin with. So we're really excited about what's to come. And then we'll close on chapters 13 and 16. So we're really excited about where this is going. As you study at home, as you study in your car, as you listen or at work when you have free time, whatever your podcast listening schedule looks like, if you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. We'd love to respond to them. So if you could text them to 817-809-3040. We'd love for you to join in these Cornerstone Conversations.